on Monday mornings or afternoons, I do office hours over in the IMU Starbucks, and I normally do that from 1 to 3, but this week I'm doing it from 9 to 11. So if you want some morning coffee, coffee's on me. And uh, there's a question that I'm faced with almost every time I come to the IMU Starbucks, and I imagine most of you have been faced with this question yourself. And the question is this, how many people need to be in line before I get demoralized and decide to go to Sugar and Spice to get coffee instead of waiting at Starbucks. <laughs> like some days I'm like, man, it's worth it. Their coffee's super good. And so I'll wait like 15 people, but when it's 30, I peace out of there. I can't wait that long. Um, what are your guys' limits? Has anybody ever been to one of those lines where you're like 30th person in line? I'm just not doing that. Aaron, you are dedicated, my friend. I don't have to wait after everybody. I don't drink Shame on you. It's time to grow up. All that to say, I am absolutely terrible at waiting. When I pull up to a stoplight and the person in front of me does not immediately go and it turns green, another big question that I wrestle with is how long do I have to wait before I honk the horn? Um, I, I'm not sure of that answer, but it's not um, as long to me as my wife thinks it should be. Because every time I honk, she's like, why are you so impatient? Um, so that's a tricky question. I have to tell you, a few weeks ago I went on a trip to Charlotte, North Carolina. I take seminary classes and my seminary is down in Charlotte. And my wife and I went out to eat at Cheesecake Factory. Has anyone here not been to Cheesecake Factory? If you leave right now and you drive up to Indianapolis, there's one in Greenwood and I won't be offended. It is, it is super awesome. Um, so we got this awesome dinner and then afterwards we, got to, we went in the to-go line and we ordered two pieces of cheesecake to-go. And so normally that takes like five minutes to get your cheesecake, but this time when we went, the to-go line was absolutely overwhelmed. It was crazy. And so we kind of found ourselves in the midst of this social experiment. What I had to do was see how long I could hold myself back from going up to the counter and like demanding to know where my cheesecake was. Because if I went up to do that before the person who was in front of me, then I'm absolutely a huge tool and everyone there is going to know it. And I also have to outlast the person who's behind me because he'll look really bad if he goes up to the counter before me. And so I waited 10 minutes. I waited 10 minutes, and the person who was in front of me was standing there too, and I could see this guy with his kids. Like, he's twitching. He's so mad. And he went up to the counter. He's like, I have four pieces of cheesecake. When are they going to be ready? And the lady was like, sir, I'm so sorry. They were absolutely overwhelmed. So I was like, okay, hold on, hold on. It's going to be just a few minutes. Then the guy behind me, I saw him, and he was just like... Couldn't control himself. I was like, one piece of cheesecake. <laughs> All I ordered was one piece of cheesecake. And the lady was just like, sir, I'm so sorry. And that's when I knew that I had won the experiment. I finally, I was able to restrain myself long enough that I was not, um, you know, providing them with results for this study on how, um, how terrible I am at waiting. You know, who, who would break first? Who would break? I think I would do well in prison camp. You know, I've got what it takes. I hope I never have to find out if I really do. I don't think I've ever met anyone who actually said they enjoyed waiting. I think that's pretty universal to us. None of us really enjoy waiting. Waiting, especially in situations that are unknown, how long is it going to be, or situations where it's uncomfortable, we just don't like the place we're in. Man, those are really tough times. I think times of waiting can be some of the most difficult times of our life. You can remember some of those situations in your life, waiting for college applications, financial aid packages. Um, I remember waiting to find the person that God had for me to marry. Man, waiting with those kind of questions in your life, can, that can be tough stuff. 
uh, waiting, hoping, with that kind of expectancy can be, can be a tough place to be. My wife Brittany and I are kind of in that situation right now. We've been wanting to buy a house for a while and move out of our condo so we could have more space. And uh, we sold our condo last week. It was super exciting. But it's also super scary because we have not bought a house yet. We have our eye on this house that we want to build. Um, that a, a builder is just starting now and so we're hopeful that tomorrow that's going to work out. But right now it's like, well, we've got a matter of weeks to find a place to live before it's like, okay, my office here at the church is pretty cozy as long as I keep the vent the whole way open and that might not be bad for six months. Um, so man, those times of waiting, they can be tough. Waiting in those circumstances, situations, Maybe it's uh, something in your life right now that you're waiting to see how it will resolve, whether that's with finances or relationships, with school. I know some of you are heading into a transition with jobs, grad school. Where are you going to be next year? It's tough to wait. It's tough to think about those questions when you don't have that positive resolution that you feel like, once I have that, then I can finally rest. Our message tonight is called Preparing for Christmas. And so what I want to talk about is Israel, the nation of Israel, is waiting for the Messiah to come. This Messiah who would come and bring them rescue. And I think it has a lot for us to consider as followers of Jesus Christ. You want to talk about a long wait. Listen to what the people of Israel went through from the time they heard the prophecies of this, this Messiah who would come to rescue them until Christ's birth. Listen to this. It was 700 years before Christ's birth that the nation of Israel became oppressed by Assyria and then Babylon and conquered by those nations. And those two nations, Assyria and Babylon, they ruled Israel for about 300 years. And this was a really rough span of time for the Jewish people. A lot of the Jewish people were exiled to those foreign lands to work as servants. And so they were taken away from their home, they were taken away from their families, and the place where they had a history with God, they could see his promises fulfilled when they were in Israel, the promised land that God had given them. These places where they could remember God's faithfulness and bringing them there, giving them a home. Places where they could worship him and experience his presence. They remembered God's promises to them that he would make them a great nation, a nation of his blessing that they might in turn be a blessing to the world. And so 300 years away in these foreign lands, it seemed as if God had forgotten his promises to them. Would he really be faithful in making them that nation of blessing? It would really be a temptation for them to wonder if God had abandoned them. Some of these prophecies that we hear in scripture um, are really familiar to us. Do you remember this prophecy from Jeremiah? He told the people of Israel during that time of waiting, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. And so these promises from the prophets were that the people of Israel ought to keep their hope alive because God had turned his back on them. He saw them in their plight, and he would restore them. They imagined that God would bring them back as a nation and make them the most powerful nation in the world. But that's not what God had in store for them. The people of Israel, they had a lot more trouble to go through before Jesus Christ would come as the one to rescue them. 
And so the prophet spoke these words of hope to the Israelites about a Messiah, one who would come. The Messiah uh, means in Hebrew the anointed one, the sent one, the chosen one who would rescue them. Listen to some of these prophecies. You'll remember some of them. They're uh, pretty familiar in Scripture, and my clicker's not working. That would be because I don't have it turned on, which is a very common issue when clickers don't work, guys. Here we go. Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. This is 700 years before Christ was born. Isaiah 7.14, The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And then Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel, Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. And so those words, they're incredible for us to read them, knowing the full story of Jesus Christ and how he would come. We can see it there in the prophet's words. And these words, they would have given such hope to the Israelites when they were in a really desperate time. Hang in there, he's coming, the Messiah is coming. But, like I said, this, this wasn't the end of the story here for the Israelites. It would be a long wait before he would come. If you know the Old Testament at all, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are last in chronological order in the Old Testament. And those books, they tell the story of the Israelites' return and their rebuilding efforts in Jerusalem after their return from exile in 400 B.C. And so, after Nehemiah rebuilt Jerusalem, the history of Israel... Does anyone here know the video game Age of Empires? The history of Israel after this time... It's kind of like Age of Empires, because it's just stories of empire after empire just conquering each other. And so the Israel is currently ruled by Babylon. Uh, Israel was then conquered by the Persians, and the Persians controlled Israel for a hundred years. And then they were conquered by the Greeks. The Greeks were conquered by the Ptolemies, and then by the Seleucids, and then the Seleucids by the Romans. This is just a mess. This country is in absolute turmoil. And all that went down in Israel in that 400-year span of time between the Old Testament ending and the New Testament beginning. So none of that's even in Scripture. We call that the intertestamental period. And so during that 400 period, you know, this was really rough. The Israelites would have been, they would have needed to be reminded of God's presence with them. 400 years. Keep in mind, the United States, we haven't even been a country for 250 years. Israel, man, this is 400 years after the time when they've been restored. Do you know how many prophets spoke words of encouragement to remind them that the Messiah was coming during that 400-year period of time? Do you know how many prophecies there were? Zero. That is a rough period of time. That's a long period of time to wait with no hope. So many different empires had conquered them and, and ruled against them, and some of them even had strict laws against the Jewish practices of faith. Some of those rulers established laws that if you practiced the Sabbath, the Jewish holy day of rest, it was punishable by death. That's what the Jewish people went through during that 400-year span of time. Some of these people in Israel, they would have been tempted to think, God is dead, he's forgotten us, or he just doesn't care about us anymore. They would have been tempted to think that. Look at these prophecies on the screen. Micah and Isaiah, that's 700 years before Jesus was born. 
Jeremiah, 600 years. It's a long time to wait. And so, this first Sunday of Advent, this season of preparation, we begin by thinking about this context, remembering the context that Jesus Christ was born into. For hundreds of years, the people of Israel waited with expectation for the Messiah to come, to bring salvation to them in the circumstances of their lives. And so as we think about that, this first Sunday of Advent, the way that we as Christians are to approach this season is by remembering that we identify with the people of Israel as a people of expectancy. What I mean by that is that there is a sense in which we too are waiting with hope for a Savior to enter into our own story. And so, when Jesus was born, he wasn't the Savior that many people expected. He didn't come as a powerful political ruler to restore Israel as a nation above all other nations. That's not what Jesus came to do. He was sent by the Father to bring restoration, not just to Israel, but to anyone who would look to him in faith. He was a king who came not to conquer the nations, but to redeem the nations. Not to push out those sinners, not to push out those people who are oppressing them, but to gather the nations in, to gather sinners in, to seek and save the lost, to offer forgiveness and new and eternal life through faith in Him. And so when we prepare for Christmas, I think it's my default to jump straight to celebrating, celebrating Christmas. Man, Christ has come. He's, he's come that we might have life and have it to the full. And that certainly is something worth celebrating. But I think for us to really celebrate Christmas with a full heart, we need to go through the process of remembering and acknowledging our waiting, that we are waiting in hope for a Savior to enter into our stories, and God has given us that in Jesus Christ. But we are also people who are waiting in hope for the day that He will come again, because it doesn't take long from the moment we turn on the news to see that there is hatred and there's oppression in our world that's still going on. It's all around us. Our world is messed up. It's messed up. We hear of sadness. We hear of sin and death. We hear of broken stories, broken lives. We're waiting for God's justice to come. We're waiting for God's redemption to be fully realized. We're waiting for that day when tears will be no more. Because our world as it is now, it's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way it's meant to be. And if we're honest about ourselves, we're not the way that we are meant to be either. We harm our relationship with God. Even though we are right with Him by God's grace when we look to Christ in faith, we harm our fellowship with God by our sin. We can't be the holy people that He's called us to be on our own efforts. And we harm one another. We harm our fellowship with one another by sinning against one another. Our world's not the way it's meant to be and neither are we. Paul writes about this in the book of Romans. He says, All of creation groans for the kingdom of God to come in full. So that's what we wait for. We wait with hope because we know Christ is one, but we do wait. We wait in anticipation of that day when Christ will return and sin and death will be no more. We anticipate that day when His kingdom will come in full. And you know, waiting can be difficult. Waiting can hurt. I think of some of the situations that we see people in our world in right now. People dying of senseless, senseless violence. People dying of terrible disease. People going through depression and anxiety, walking around with weight that isn't theirs to carry, feeling hopeless, feeling lost. What we celebrate is, in Christmas 
is that God hasn't left us alone in our mess. He sent Jesus Christ into our world, into our lives, that we might have hope. And the power of God, the resurrection of power of God to work in our lives, to work in our hearts. And as we wait in hope, as we walk through the circumstances of this life, we have hope because we know there's a day when pain will be no more, when God will make all things right. And so we wait on the Lord. We wait with hope in the midst of the unknown and in the midst of the unseen. And that's an uncomfortable place for us to be. It requires us to trust that God will be faithful to his promises. Can we put our hope in him? Can we wait on him in the midst of what is unseen? That's really difficult. Think about faith. It's not something where we can just point to a chart and say, this makes sense, so I'm going to believe it. The numbers work out. Faith is a risk. It's risky. But think about the biblical definition of faith. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. Faith is assurance about what we do not see. And so waiting with hope in what God has done in Jesus Christ, waiting with hope in what He can do in our lives by the Spirit, and waiting with hope in what He will do on that day when Christ comes again is what Christian faith is all about. We hope in the Lord. We hope in Him in the midst of the unknown and in the unseen. We trust that God will be faithful to His promises. And so these are questions that we are faced with. This is a question that each of us has to answer. Will you put your hope in Christ? Will you trust Him with your life, with your future, and with your present circumstances? Will you trust Him? Will you look for hope where it's truly found? Listen to these words of the prophet Isaiah to those people of Israel 2,700 years ago today. I think they're just as much for each and every one of us as they were for the people of Israel back then. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. What a verse. If I had to say I had a life verse, I think that would be one of them. When I was in seventh grade, I went to run this cross-country meet that I was super nervous about, and I found that Bible verse written on a note card that my mom had tucked into my cross-country running shoe. And ever since then, that verse has meant so much to me. That's one I've had in my back pocket in some dark times in life. Have you ever been in one of those times where you felt like you don't have what it takes to walk through it. I don't have what this takes. You're right. You don't have what it takes. But the power of our faith is that we have a God who is resurrected from the grave and His power is at work in our lives. We have hope in Him for our future. And so in those moments where you're well aware of the fact that you don't have what it takes, hope in the Lord. Even youths grow tired and weary. Even young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. God's resurrection power is able to work in your life. Your future is in Him. And you have eternity to look forward to in His perfect and restored creation. So hold on in hope. Don't be discouraged. You can trust Christ to complete the work that He's begun in your life. And He will complete the work that He's begun in our world, no matter how dark it may seem. The Apostle John describes 
what that day will look like when Christ comes again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, he writes, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, Write this down, for those words are trustworthy and true. So as we head into Christmas, as we prepare for that season, hope in those words. Hope in the good news of Jesus Christ. Those words of truth, words that are trustworthy and true. So don't lose heart. Wait on the Lord and you will renew your strength. Because the best is yet to come. That's our hope. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the promise of Christmas. That you have not left us to ourselves. That into the darkness, God, you have brought light to the people of Israel as they waited in hope in the midst of their despair, in the midst of their pain. God, we, we know that so many of us tonight are going through things that only you know, God. We find ourselves in situations that are bigger than we can handle. But God, our hope isn't that we can rally and and we can pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. Our, our hope isn't that we can muster up the optimism to get through dark times. Our hope is that the power of God will overshadow us. Our hope is that you, are, you, God, you conquered the grave. Surely you have grace to cover over all of our lives. And so we pray that you would give us faith to trust you, God. Even faith the side of the mustard seed can move a mountain, God. So when you just give us... Give us the tiniest amount of faith, God, because we know that even with that, you can do miraculous things. So, God, we pray that these last two weeks of the semester, that we would be people who trust you, that we would be people who have hearts that are changed by knowledge that you have come into our situation, into our circumstances, into our world, God. And give us a hope that is beyond our own understanding, because it's firmly rooted in the good news of Jesus Christ. God with us, God for us. God with all sufficient grace. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.